I think it was 2003 or 2004. It's 2004. That was a good year, wasn't it? Doesn't seem like it was 11 years ago, does it? Unless you were born in 2005, like Noah was. <laughs> it wasn't very long ago at all. So it's 2004, and I was at a Thanksgiving celebration, and I'm going to leave all names out of this one. <laughs> you guys have been some doozy of, cel- of celebrations like Thanksgivings in your lives, probably. Some of you, I know you have. I know you've told me about them, and you're still <laughs> licking your wounds. <laughs> This wasn't bad like that. Actually, it was pretty good. There was a big group of family members together, not my immediate family, so don't think my mom and dad or anybody like that. And there was like some strange tension around one person in particular. But it wasn't bad. It was just kind of weird. It was just different. I found myself about two hours into the day, having a conversation with this guy. It was a a, a guy. He was in his late 20s. And he he sits down across the table from me, and it's just the two of us. And he said, so so here you're going to seminary. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. It's like, yeah, I am. It's like, I I went to Bible college for a while. I was like, oh, you did. That's, that's interesting. Tell me about your experience. He said, well, in my second year, I asked one of my professors some questions. And I've never been back since. And I've never been back to the church since. And I said, well, what did you ask? And he said, Well, I was asking him about people that suffer in the world, people that suffer in other parts of the world. Why do they suffer? If God is such a good God, why do so many people suffer? Why are there so many people that are hungry? Why? Why does this happen? And the professor's answer was, well, it's clearly because they're just that horrible of sinners. And I said, I can understand why. You don't want to participate with that movement. I understand why you don't want to participate with the church. With some kind of a blanket statement like that. And I said, have you questioned whether or not that's true? He said, well, no, it's, it's, it's got to be true. My college professor at a well-known established institution told me it. That's what Christians believe. And so I just encouraged him and challenged him to think differently maybe, to search a little bit more, to ask some more questions, to ask some other people other questions or related questions. That instead of just walking away because somebody told him something that I wholeheartedly believed not to be true myself, just because somebody told him that, there was no reason for him to just walk away from the church altogether. He believed something that there might be some sense of truth to it someplace deep down in there, but there certainly isn't some blanket statement you can make like that. If that was the case, we'd all be hosed, right? If we all got what we really deserved, unless there's somebody sitting out there that thinks that they're perfect. Mm. 
I'm afraid that we're part of a generation that has believed a particular thing concerning the truth of the gospel or the truth of God's character and have unfortunately abandoned the church rather than asked more questions. It's quite honestly frustrating to me in some ways. I hope it's a righteous frustration. I'm not certain that it always is a righteous frustration. I just want to choke people sometimes. (laughs) For which apparently I would deserve to suffer and starve someplace. All right. It would still be righteous. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You've probably heard it said, bad company corrupts good character. And I say to you, what Paul is really talking about in quoting a poet is that bad theology corrupts good character. That's what Paul's talking about. Did you know that? He's not talking about just some generally bad character like, ooh, they smoke. Ooh, they drink. It's, mm. Paul is actually talking about bad theology. People that say things like, Ah, the resurrection? Nah, didn't happen. Or it ain't going to happen. That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. I had a professor at Trinity. Oh no, here we go. I'm way off script already. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I had a professor. There any really little kids? You might clap their ears a second. (laughs) This was a professor at Trinity where I did my undergraduate. And he said, I won't. I'll spell it out or something, right? He was, he was really a funny guy. Um, anyway, um, he is, uh, we're in class, and, and he's like, you know, I can't talk like this, I'm not joking. He's like, you know what the church needs? And he's like, well, I think all kinds of things the church needs. We can list off all kinds of, all kinds of spiritual gifts the church needs and all things like that, right? He's like, oh, you know what the church really needs? It needs more, and then he says, <clears throat> C-R-A-P, <clears throat> detectors. We need more CRAP detectors. We need more people that have a good nose for when things just aren't right. Roy Harrisville is his name, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) He is just that way. Such a funny guy. Such a funny guy. But we do. The church needs that desperately. The church needs to be able to stand up and say, wait, 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 wait a second. I think that there might be a little stereotyping going on. I think there may be a little shallow theology going on here. I think we might need to think about things a little more deeply or from a little bit different of an angle or we need to take some other things into consideration. But it doesn't always happen. And unfortunately, stories like the one I shared to begin with are too often the case. Large groups of people, I can't buy that. I can't believe that. I don't think that that's what God could possibly be like. So we're in a series in Hebrews. I want to read a text for us, starting in chapter 13. Sorry, <laughs> there is no Hebrews 13. Um, is there? Yeah. No, Hebrews 3, 14 through 4, 11. We have come to share in Christ, if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Just as it has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? 
So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share in the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Is that really clear? Does that make a lot of sense to you? Yeah, I know. It's really kind of... Yeah, it's unbelievably difficult. Hebrews is kind of that way at different times. Here's the deal. We're going to move on from like me clarifying just exactly what's going on here as much as I can in a brief moment. Don't be a rebellion. Don't don't be rebellious. (laughs) Don't be in rebellion. If you are, you may not enter God's rest. Don't be like those who are hard-hearted, who though they, we can understand why they would not have trusted God because of the way that they were unfortunately led by people like Pharaoh. That's no excuse. We need to learn to trust God. That the Hebrew people originally did not enter into the rest. The 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, none of that first generation were able to go into the promised land. Yeah, the rest is, is referring to, well, something more than that, but certainly is um, in connection with the, with the promised land, going into the promised land. And then even Joshua, who did lead them into the promised land, didn't give them rest because God spoke of another rest. Because he spoke of it later. Remember, this text is actually quoting Psalm 95. Oh, yeah, well, they didn't really get much rest at all, (laughs) right? So he's saying that there must be another rest. There has to be another rest, even besides the rest that they received in the promised land that Joshua led them into. Because later, a guy later named King David, who he understands wrote Psalm 95, talked about another rest. That rest is the rest that God gives us through Jesus. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's today. It's today. You might not get a tomorrow, but you have a today. So take it today. Enter it today. Receive it today. Interestingly, it's actually a future thing in a sense. The fullness of God's rest will only come when the fullness of God's kingdom comes. Then we'll we'll be like, the lion lay down with the lamb and we'll all be like, happy. Don't miss it. Today. 
you have a chance today. You might not have a chance tomorrow. As long as it's today, enter it. And every today, continue to enter it. Continue to desire to receive it and to be a part of it. We're done. No. I hope that that, at least in a nutshell, sums up what's going on here. It's, it's today. Oh, in all the preparation of this message, and Sean and Amanda aren't here tonight, but like I just thought a lot on Ray Lynn. And Ray Lynn was a three-week-old little baby girl that died just after Easter this last year. Um, you just don't know. You don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. So every today, enter, receive, be part of what God is doing every today. So what I really want to spend more time doing, and I've got a large block of text to read from you for you, and I hope it interests you. It's from Numbers. It doesn't sound very interesting, does it? Yes, it does. It actually is hugely interesting, so I hope to give you a whole new perspective on Numbers. It really, that's a horrible name for it. Sounds like math, right? That's why Darren likes it. I should have Darren read it. One, two. <laughs> it really, the name of it makes it seem like it would be that <laughs> exciting. <laughs> All right. I want to ask, ask a couple of questions when it comes to the Israelites not entering that rest to begin with. Moses is supposed to bring them into the promised land. God has promised, that's what the promised land is, right? A land you will receive on a promise. Moses has been promised, and the Hebrew people have been promised, a land. A land flowing with milk and honey. He was, though all of the Hebrew people were. He doesn't get to enter, but he was promised it. Yeah, absolutely. All of the Hebrew people were promised the promised land. So they're supposed to be. So what kept them? What kept the Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt from entering into the promised land? Stubbornness, Stubbornness hardness of heart. We talked about that last week, right? Yes. Disobedience, a lack of trust. There's, I got a big laundry list here someplace of all the reasons that are listed for why they didn't. They rebelled. They didn't enter because they rebelled. They sinned, right? They didn't have any belief, distrust, and disobedience. That's in 3, 16, 17, 19, and 4, 6, and 11, the text that I read. All of them honestly come down to trust. They're just not trusting God. But more than that, like what did the what happened? I mean, we can just say, well, they didn't trust. But what happened? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's something with that. They forgot. For sure. We talked about that a little bit last week. Ah, yeah. You're really hitting the nail on the head right now, I think. Because it's really not so much something that they did. It's something that they didn't do. Last week, again, we talked about how they were grumbling over being thirsty and they had hard hearts of distrust. and They didn't just ask God who had already provided for them all kinds of wonderful things to provide something, but they demanded it and they threatened and they 
despised Moses for bringing them out, and they thought God wasn't with them, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. So much better there. Pharaoh is so much nicer than Yahweh. Not. And as I already talked about, jumping the gun, the leaders, Pharaoh, they learned. They were conditioned generation after generation, 430 years of not being able to trust leadership. So we can understand why they would have had hard hearts and not been able to trust their leaders again. And we're there oftentimes. Maybe you had a bad father in your life. It's hard to trust when you hear our Father who art in heaven. Our heavenly Father, you have a hard time trusting that that Father is good. It's no excuse though, right? It's a reason. We have to work through it. It's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people have a hard time with it. They do. But in comparing that to your story, people now are more willing yeah. to trust that it's not false. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting there. We're getting, oh, no, you're good. I like it when people are thinking ahead. So, so that was the Egypt, sorry, the, uh, the Hebrews that were complaining about not having water at that point. Well, they have more complaints. You know, they're known just to be grumblers. Right? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble. You like grumblers? God doesn't like grumblers. It's, it's kind of true, right? As long as we understand grumbling correctly, um, God does want us to come to him with our needs Let me read for you this boring numbers now. It's not boring, I promise. It's a long section. It's two whole chapters. I don't do this much text at one time very often. But I think maybe the church needs to do it more often so you kind of hear what is going on in more detail. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. For each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord commanded Moses, sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Iskar, Igal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gabiel, son of Sodai. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph. Gadai, son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamili, Gamiliai, from the tribe of Asher, Sether, son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nahib, son of Vos, uh, sorry, Vosi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Machai. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like. 
And whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? And the trees, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rohab toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahimon, Sheshai, and Tamali and the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to give the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours the people living in it. And the people we saw there were of great size. We saw Nephilim there, the descendants of Amak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If we had only died in Egypt, or in this wilderness even, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only for us to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he, he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. The protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people. And that you, Lord, have been seen face to face. That your cloud stays over them. And that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for their sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, Not one of those who saw my glory and saw the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobey me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do everything that I have heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, twenty years old or more, who is counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with upheld hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephenueh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lie in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I surely do these things to the whole wicked community, which is banded together against me. They will meet me in... meet their end in this wilderness. There they will die. So Moses sent to 
So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went and explored the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb survived. When Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they sent out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, you will not be, He will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point of the hill country, though Moses neither, neither, though neither Moses nor the ark's Lord, the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites, who lived in the hill country, came down and attacked them, and beat them down all the way to Horma. You awake still? Yeah, numbers is so boring. It's not about math. It's not boring at all. I hope you weren't bored by that. What's going on there? How would you sum up why the Israelites didn't enter? Because they didn't believe God. They were afraid. They were led by fear. They were like, my goodness, there's huge people there. Even though these are the same people that God delivered out of Egypt, they're still not getting it, right? They're still not understanding what God is capable of. They're still not trusting Him. Their hearts are still hard. They're still being led astray. Eh, we'll have to talk about that another time. That's a big, long conversation. That's a better answer than some would give, though. <laughs> They were like, we see these huge giants, these Nephilim, gargantuan of people. There is no way we could come against them. They would absolutely devour us. But what else is going on there? There's something else happening here, and I hope you don't miss it. Well, you're not going to miss it by the time we're done because I'm going to talk about it. There's something else really peculiar happening here. A couple of things, actually. One is that... Uh, and many people will argue at great length that they should have never sent spies to begin with. God seems to be okay with it, but actually in King, in first, I think believes in First Kings, and if I had my notes all typed out, I'd have the exact reference for you. You can ask me later and I'll tell you. It seems as though God isn't all that keen about them sending spies. In other words, he's saying, I told you I'm giving you the land. I told you it's flowing with milk and honey. Why do you have to send spies? What are you doing? Yep. It does seem that God does agree with it and goes ahead and tells them to send spies. But then what about all the questions? What about all the things that they're going to figure out? God already told them it's flowing with milk and honey. So apparently Moses doesn't believe God. Nobody believes God because they're going to go check it out. Well, maybe it didn't all that great. What else were they going to do? <laughs> right? What else were they going to do? Stick around in the wilderness? Then, or maybe they were thinking about going back to, the, to Egypt. We'll get to that. So, 
he also sends them assuming something. He assumes a military conquest, right? Did God tell him how they were going to? Oh, I'm going to have you go and you're going to chop all the Canaanites' heads off. What is he just assuming? Maybe. But he's assuming a couple of things. He's assuming military conquest because he wants to know how big they all are. Go and check out how big they are. I want to see what we're really up against. As if they're bigger than God. As if God can't give them what he promised to give them. Or they have to fight for it, right? I mean, when you hear some of the stories about how the Israelites actually ultimately defeat some of their enemies, there was some military conquest involved. There's no doubt about that, but it was somewhat peculiar. Oftentimes God would just have people fight from their own tribes against each other. Wipe each other out. They didn't have to lift a finger. They just had to march and do some crazy stuff. Right? Maybe God was going to call them to do some crazy stuff, not just conquer them by their own strategies, by their own shortness of size. I mean, we see this actually happening when David fights Goliath. Right? He's fighting a giant. He's fighting a descendant of these guys, these giants. And he's a tiny little guy representing all of Israel. And with a, a sling and five stones, he takes out this giant of a guy. But aren't the people of Israel also following what Absolutely. They keep repeating this behavior over and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there we go. What else? There's some other peculiar things going on here. Really peculiar, right? The spies come back and they're like carrying grapes. So many grapes that they have. Like, we got some grapes at Costco last week. Those things are like that big around. They're huge. I imagine these grapes were like those grapes. You should have brought some of those grapes. Those are good grapes. <laughs> Delicious grapes. I like grapes. You like grapes? I like grapes. I wonder if they were green or red grapes. I wonder if they had seeds. Probably had seeds. Nonetheless, they have so many seeds, they have, sorry, they have so many grapes that they rename the valley a valley of grapes and then they carry them and it takes two people in a pole to bring them back. And their original reports, they're like, whoa, it's totally true. That land is flowing with milk and honey. Wow. It's awesome, but shoot, there's a problem. There's a problem. These guys are huge. Can't do anything about it. But then what happens to this story? What happens to the story when the whole of the Israelite community is told about it? What happens to the land? The land all of a sudden goes from a land flowing with milk and honey to a land, oh, it devours people. It's a bad, bad land. I don't know what God was telling us. He said it was flowing with milk and honey. We get there and people were being swallowed up by it. <laughs> right? It's not a, a, a valley of grapes. It's a valley of swallowing men. And what do the Israelites then do? Well, wait a second. Wait a second. That's not what God said. God said it was flowing with milk and honey. Are you sure it was devouring men? Are you positive? No, they didn't do that, right? They were just like, oh, well, I guess God's a liar. We want to go back to Egypt. Let's find a new leader. 
Let's find a new leader because there's giants there. We can't do this. And it's not milk and honey. It's the end of my life. We're going to be destroyed for nothing. I wish we would have just died in Egypt. I wish we'd just die in this desert. Do you ever feel that way? Golly, things aren't so good right now. I don't really feel like trusting God today. I wish I would just die. They're leaders from every tribe, except for two. We're lying to them. Exaggerating the truth and just creating things out of thin air. Because they were afraid. Because they didn't trust God. And they led others to not trust Him all the more. They should have questioned. But their own hearts were hard and they didn't. I said that Israel's sin wasn't so much what they did do, but what they didn't do. God just said, go in. And they didn't. They just didn't. Not unlike God says to us now, come on. You can boldly enter my throne room. But do we? Why don't we? If we don't. I think that there are some lies that fly around in the church. And maybe in some ways this message is really an indictment on leaders. But hopefully we can clear up a few things. And I honestly don't know what order I want to take these three and a half things in. It is numbers. Point five. Too many times the church has the perspective that Jesus has not overcome the world. That we cannot live proclaiming in word and deed the gospel in the world. That we have to remove ourselves from it, separate ourselves from it, run from the world. The world is a horribly cruel, evil, evil place. It's bad, 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 bad. And don't you ever step foot any place that isn't perfectly safe. Oh, there are giants out there. People with lots of power and they're going to devour you. They're going to devour your children. They're going to take them as plunder. They're going to rot their brains. They're going to be horrible. Don't go to those people. Bad, bad, bad. As if Jesus hasn't overcome the world. As if Jesus hasn't sent us right into it. He has sent us right into it. We are not supposed to disengage and stay away. We are sent right into the midst of it. Jesus prays that we not be removed from the world, but that we be protected from the evil one while we're in it. If somebody tells you to run away from everything happening in the world around you, disengage from that person and stay away from them. That's the kind of bad company that corrupts good character. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this one. This is the point five. Because I talk about it a lot already. But many people, the person I talked about earlier today, 
have this idea that God is just simply an angry God and will not forgive. But we, as Faye pointed out already, God gets earful from Moses. He's like, wait a second. If you just take him all the way out here in the middle of the desert and just destroy him, then everybody's going to be like, what's going on with him? He can't even do anything with his own people. He's got to just slaughter him. Let who you truly are shine. The one who, in revealing his glory to Moses, says he's full of faithfulness and love and goodness. Sometimes people will say, wait, 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 wait. What about this, all this, like, generation after generation after generation of cursing carrying on to the future kids? Well, importantly, write this down. Go and read Ezekiel 18.20. God says, I'm not going to do that anymore. We serve a God who is known for his love, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. And anybody that tries to tell you anything different than that, run from that person. Seek the truth. God is compassionate and full of love. Jesus has come to make his Father known. Jesus himself being full of grace and truth. I'm going to merge these last two into one, so I guess it's 2.5. I think this might be the greatest lie that goes around in our country today. I hear it all over the place. I see it in churches. I see it in our culture. I see it in sneaky ways, in subversive ways, in propagandic ways. There are many people that want to try and convince you that we cannot overcome with the way of Jesus. People that want to tell you, it ain't going to work for you to take up your cross. It's not going to work for you to die. I'm not so certain that there is a promised land for you to enter after you die. You got to take what you can get right now. And I don't know about bearing your cross. I think we need to chisel that thing into a sword. The way of the cross doesn't work. The way of the cross will just end up with you dead. But this is not true. The way of the cross does work. If it doesn't, if we don't think it does, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> Jesus has shown that it does work, that that is God's way. To lay down your life for your enemies. That we have an opportunity to enter a rest that is eternal. We absolutely must trust in the way of Jesus, or we are absolutely wasting our time. You probably know what I'm talking about. You probably hear it. And if you don't, open your ears to pay attention to those that want to try and tell you that we can't love our enemies. That we have to persecute our enemies. Maybe at best give them one opportunity. And if they don't change immediately, off of their heads. We have to trust the way of Jesus. We must learn to have great CRAP protect detectors we absolutely have to learn to do that <laughs> we must learn to engage a culture 
that has run from the church because it has been told things about what we believe that are not what we believe. They are not the truth. So I just ask you, as we close, what have you been taught that maybe you realize or are coming to realize is not true? We can't be afraid of seeking the truth. We can't be afraid of putting our nose in Scripture. We can't be afraid of reading two chapters of Numbers at church. What keeps you? What keeps you from following the way of Jesus? What keeps you from proclaiming in word and deed that we serve a good God who loves? What keeps you from going into that world? What keeps you running away from it? Don't be afraid. Be empowered. It's true what they say. The way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's not to us. It's not foolishness. It's life. So today, if you hear his voice, trust him. Enter his rest. Trust in his way. Seek to follow him all the days of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you that you give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, good CRAP detectors. Help us, Lord God, to not be led astray by people that are trying to rule our lives with fear. Father, I just, I just pray against the work of evil in our world that would want to try and persuade those in the church that the cross doesn't work, that we have to take up a sword. Help us to have a trust in you, Lord God, that is so big that it goes beyond the grave. Help us, Heavenly Father, to proclaim in word and deed your good news, being a people of your presence. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.